Welcome to the High Performance Groundwork Podcast. My name is Hugo Menard, and my guest today is Dr. Deborah Dupree, the Mindset Doc. She is the founder and CEO of Relationships at Work, where she offers dispute resolution services. Dr. Deborah has nearly 30 years in dispute resolution and a career in working with people in conflict. She works with leaders on how to leverage the mindset to work with people from different walks of life. She is ranked among the top 10 trainers and speakers for delivering powerful and inspirational programs by SkillPath Corporate Strategies Worldwide customers. She's recognized by Newsweek magazine among the top five psychotherapists in San Diego for her life-changing work. And she was named Mediator of the Year by the Los Angeles Federal Executive Board for her leadership and innovation for mentoring and resolving workplace disputes. And she is the host of Decoding the Conflict Mindset podcast, which is a podcast series designed for the dispute resolution enthusiast who truly seeks to bring conversations of peace to their worlds of influence. So welcome, Deborah. So good to have you here. Thank you so much, Hugo. I'm delighted to be here. Um, so in our sort of conversations before, I was just mentioning that the something about conflict resolution seems like such a bright flame and lights me up in some way that I can't quite articulate. And where I would like to begin is um, one of the things that you've written about on your website is reset and redirect people's thoughts and perspective around conflict from something to avoid uh, to an opportunity to learn, grow and improve. So I was wondering if you could begin this conversation by your frame of how you see conflict. Well, that's a great starting point. Um, I, I, I would like to start by saying that um, many people are fearful of conflict. And so, you know, simply lacking the courage and, and moving moving into it, and they want to run away from it. And quite frankly, it, it actually connects with our basic drive to survive. I know our flight, fight, you know, freeze response. And uh, the freeze response is actually something more recent in years um, to that basic, you know, drive to survive, because sometimes people just become immobilized. They, they can't even get away from the situation. They're so immobilized. And so it, it comes pretty natural. It's part of our DNA. It's part of our genetic wiring that we we react to conflict. And, um, and either we aggressively approach conflict or, again, we retreat, we run away from conflict, or we simply, again, are immobilized or freeze in conflict. And the thing is, is that's, that's a, a natural reaction. But... In today's world, the threats that we face are often not things that we really have to, you know, take action on as part of our survival. I mean, we're, we're long gone from the days of dinosaurs and, and whatever, you know, running after us. But our bodies are still hardwired the same way. And so if we, you know, realize that, okay, this is, a, this is uncomfortable, but it's not something I have to run from. And so what can I learn from this? And so um, by shifting our mindset, uh, by, by um, looking at conflict differently, it's actually an opportunity to grow. I like to say out of adversity comes opportunity. Out of moments of pain comes the momentum for gain. And so recognizing that, yeah, things are going to make us uncomfortable, but instead okay, it's part of our emotional intelligence, not just our intellectual intelligence. Um, you know, how can we have a conversation, not a confrontation? And too often people react to one another 
based on what they see in our body language or facial expressions, um, the words that are being said, and even the tone, volume, and inflection. Oh, yeah. well, that sounds snarky. Where are you coming from? You know, and so we react, you know, and that's where we want to move away from. We, we, well, we want to pay attention to our reaction, but not take action on our reaction. Right. Yep. Okay. And instead, we want to um, be more mindful, uh, um, you know, be present in the moment and go, oh, I'm triggered. What's that about? You know, and this is where, you know, I, I like to take people deeper into our emotional intelligence, which is actually about two thirds of who we are rather than our intellectual intelligence, how smart we are. And, and, and help people grow to having conversations about that stuff, not just our reaction to stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our emotions are just so phenomenally powerful and such a force that I think we're just so often oblivious to it. We're just like, oh, I'm, I'm doing something rational, but it's just the emotion seems to be shaping it. Um, so can we dive into what, what this actually look like, looks like in terms of what are the things you do when there is a conflict and you are in that, you know, experiencing that fight, flight, freeze. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that? Another great question. question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and I, I will say that, you know, I have learned, I've evolved into who I am today and how I deal with things. And, and even, you know, how I show up today is different than how I showed up 10 years ago. And so I, I put that out there because this, this is learnable. You know, uh, this is something we can um, better understand. We can learn tips and techniques and strategies to, to navigate through more challenging or difficult conversations. And, and so I'll, I'll go back to um, emotional intelligence again. It's a, a newer term that's been around. It's been actually talked about academically for quite a while, uh, but really gained, gained its popularity and, you know, 20 years or so ago through the works of Dr. Daniel Goleman, who really sort of popularized some of the concepts. And now we see a whole lot. Um, but I, I like to keep it to the basic four. It's about, you know, our self-awareness, you know, how what triggers us and where do we experience that? Um, but then also our self-management. You know, are we that reactive kind of person or are we that freeze kind of person? Or do we just retreat and never want, ever, never want to deal with this again? But then also, how good are we at picking up the clues on somebody else? You know, if we see a shift in facial expression or, in, or a reaction to something we've said or done. And then how do we manage that relationship? So those are the four quadrants, self-awareness, um, um, self-management, what I like to call other awareness, uh, and then relationship management. And so to me, in terms of, you know, it's a long answer, I know, but to you know, dealing with oh, conflict. Please, please go deep. I, I mean, <laughs> I think I think emotional intelligence is important enough to have uh, multiple episodes just on that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yeah. So so to get to get good, to get effective, um, to um, manage conflict differently in ways that are helpful, not hurtful or harmful to yourself and to others it's real important that we do some learning about, you know, uh, you know, our emotional intelligence. Um, I would say it's also very helpful to know and understand about our 
you know, our communication styles, there of which there are four worldwide. And then uh, research already tells us that there are five basic conflict management styles. And the conflict management styles do correlate to some degree to the communication styles. Um, and so it's just understanding, deepening our awareness of those three key things, I think, um, are, are key to helping people get on the road to conflict competency uh, in terms of what they can do uh, to navigate through conflict effectively, artfully, and strategically. Okay. Yeah. And so it's, it's understanding what kinds of things do trigger you. And people, you know, people are people. And, and anytime people, anytime two people come together, uh, there may be differences about beliefs, expectations, challenges, um, concerns, hopes, aspirations, values. And that's just the surface, you know, let's not even get into political and all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, but, you know, people are going to have differences. But differences don't have to become disagreements. There doesn't have to be discord. There doesn't have to be polarization. If we actually know how to uh, manage a conversation, well, help me learn how you see things. I may see things differently, but let me let me let me learn learn where you're coming from, and maybe there's something in where you're coming from that I should know, and I might benefit from seeing things di differently or from a different perspective. And so, again, conflict does not have to be butting heads. Um, conflict can be great opportunities, great sources for inspiration to come up with brand new ideas. And so a lot of times people look at conflict as being bad. Yeah. And it's, it's not necessarily. It, you know, it's managed well. I like to say it's not that conflict in, in and of itself is bad. It's how we manage it. I think this is such a, a, a challenge to fully understand. Could you give some examples of a conflict that sort of opens opportunities to, to help uh, kind of make that a bit more concrete? Okay. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think of which one do I want to come up with first, you know. Um, I'm just going to go to a, a recent um, workplace intervention that I, um, I'm still in progress with. Um, but back in late April, we actually did a group um, mediation, a group facilitation. And tensions had been actually pretty high among this team of six for a couple, two years or so. And to the point of where it was affecting the larger program, as well as affecting the customers, internal and external, or users of their services. And... And people didn't really understand what was going on and what was at the heart of it. Um, but things had definitely become polarized. Um, there was a division uh, within this particular team. And, and so what it, when we did our group session, um, it was very interesting in terms of everyone having a chance to speak. And, of course, I'm facilitating the dialogue and asking questions, redirecting things as we moved along. Uh, but it was also about developing rapport and a sense of psychological safety. And so what it boiled down to, at least between two particular people, a, a director and an employee, and the employee had a lot of experience, had been around with the program longer, and had really been instrumental in developing some key components to the program. 
but she believes she heard her director say that nobody liked her. And yet, because of the um, employee's style, she tended to retreat and withhold. And to the point of where she actually developed physical symptoms, she actually had to take time off of work at the end of last year in order to sort of deal with her psychological and physical health issues that came out of this situation. And if you can, so this has been going on for a couple of years. And so when it finally came out that this is sort of at the core and the director goes, that is so contrary to me. I mean, I can't imagine I would have ever said something like that. And, you know, is there any possibility that you may have misunderstood or whatever? But instead, this employee carried this around with her for a couple of years to where she physically and mentally got became ill. And so imagine if they could have had a conversation early on, okay, rather than somebody holding back. And that a lot of people do that. A lot of people hold back and not say why they're bothered by, by something. And so... So I, I always do follow-up with my mediation sessions, and so we actually did a one-on-one -on -one between this employee and director to have a further conversation without the whole group. But then we also came back and did a group session. Just This all happened this week, by the way. And, um, yeah, and so the employee talked about what a weight was lifted off her shoulders by being able to openly express in a safe environment how she was impacted by the comments that she believed she heard, okay, her perception. And so, um, uh, and, 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 and as a result of what we did a month ago, she's already been able to re-engage with the team um, more effectively. She's not isolating so much. Um, communications have opened up. And that was um, demonstrated also by the group intervention that we followed up with yesterday about how everybody is just so grateful for this opportunity to talk openly about their differences and, and their perceptions. And so that's a big thing. I, I try to encourage people to take a look at their perceptions of the situation, not their reactions and their, their positions. When we get, when we oh, form okay. positions, that's, that's <laughs> okay. Okay. Can, can you that because that seems really important. Okay. Um, what, what I try to get people to take a look at it, are their perceptions of a situation mm -hmm. rather than their reactions and their positions. Okay. So people can get very judgmental in the moment. Yeah. Okay. We tend to judge people by what we see them doing, their behaviors or their words, but we don't oftentimes give them room to take a look at their intentions. Where were they coming from? And, and again, using courage and curiosity to have a conversation rather than reacting and either confronting or um, being silent. Right. Okay, and what would you say to, a, you know, if there are two or more people in a situation where, because we don't get along with everybody, mm. and so when there are people who just really seem to just not be compatible, if you like, mm -hmm. but are still working together in the same environment, you know, especially because that sort of incompatibility might be that the other person is triggering some you know very deep trauma that they don't even remember 
how would you go about dealing with that kind of a situation? Again, a great question. Um, when, well, one of the foundations, um, you know, particularly for workplace environment, you know, because we we all want to work to make a living, and you know, and uh, and we don't get to pick. Unlike our, our our interpersonal relationships outside of work, we don't get to pick who we have to work with. And and you're right, people are not everyone's going to get along. However, you know, as we like to say in workplace uh, interventions and mediation, is that you know, if you want to be an employee of this workplace, your responsibility is to we don't we don't ask that you become buddy buddy or friends you know, or even like each other, but you do have to be professional and respectful of what the person brings to the table and their position, just like they should be of you in your position. Mm -hmm. And you need to find ways to get along in order to get the work done of your respective jobs or department or the organization. And so, you know, more and more we're seeing organizations that are making the ability to manage conflict as being a core competency. We're seeing more and more organizations um, using uh, assessments of emotional intelligence uh, for their ability to get along with others and to, again, um, manage communications, influence people effectively, and um, uh, manage conflict. And so when people don't get along like that, um, quite honestly, when I'm brought in, a um, question I'll ask to the leaders bringing me in is usually management or leadership that will bring me in and say, we've got this issue between two people, and we think it's really it's just a personality conflict. Well, and it could well be, but it's like, well, um, you know what? Employees, you have a choice. Either you, you know, take up on your employer's opportunity to work through your differences and come up with a plan of action for how you're going to work together more effectively and collaboratively given your respective jobs or guess what you have a choice either one of you or both of you may need to leave because if you can't get along you're impacting the quality of work getting done you're you're interfering with the quantity of work getting done and you're also interfering inter, uh, impacting others that work around you I mean, you've heard the saying, you know, the tension was so thick you could cut it with a knife, right? Yeah. I mean, I that's a world. That yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a worldwide, you know, phrase as far as I know. I mean, I, whenever I say that, people, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Well, that's the thing is we can feel when other people are in conflict with one another. And so, again, if you want to keep your job here, your responsibility is to navigate through conflict. And so, in terms of how do you deal with that, then? There are a couple choices. You know, the individual, um, you know, or one or both of them could elect to get some conflict coaching, for example. I've got this situation with this person and, and I'm having difficulties. I don't know how to manage it. And so coaching would help that person come up with strategies on how to better manage, you know, the situation. And oftentimes it is through, you know, uh, changing communication strategies, um, timing, approaching, uh, again, understanding the, uh, you know, your EQ and your um, communication styles. Um, so that's one way. And and what I tend to do when I'm when I'm called in is um, uh, I do take people through some conflict coaching before I bring them together. 
because oftentimes I find that people are lacking knowledge and information and awareness about, you know, these different natural styles that we have. And, um, and that way they're better prepared to engage in the mediation session. And so, um, uh, and we're, I found I'm just generally much more successful in helping people navigate through their differences when we do that. Yeah. But it, it, it's real important, I think, for, for managers and leaders, you know, not just chalk it off to, oh, they, they just have a personality clash. Well, yeah, they exist, but there's things that we can do about that. Right. Yeah. How do we get into those um, conflict resolution styles? And you also mentioned uh, four communication styles as well. of uh, yeah, just dig deep into that. Okay, sure, sure. Yeah, um, oh, I wish I could lay ownership to developing all of this, but um, I draw on the greats ahead of me. So um, the communication styles uh, really emerged, and I apologize, I don't remember with whom, but it's been around since like the 50s or 60s. And, um, you know, unfortunately, unless you train in communication uh, in in college or, you know, um, advanced education, most people have no idea about these things. And, but there are four communication styles. One is I'll characterize as more of the driver, take charge kind of person. And uh, so they're very quick to take action, quick to make decisions, and sort of quick in their thinking and talking. And um, to the point of where uh, they're so focused on getting things done that they can lose sight of the people around them. Okay. Uh, Fortunately or unfortunately, um, a lot of leaders actually come out of that style because they're recognized for their uh, effective decision making. Okay, being able to take charge of situations quickly and effectively is just their forte. Right. Okay. Yeah. Then another style is what we consider more um, uh, relationship or um, expressive oriented. Um, uh, very outgoing, like the 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 driver is. Um, both of them are considered extroverted, and uh, the the expression or relationship oriented person is always, "How are you doing today? You know, let me check in with you. You know, I want I just want everybody to get along. You know, not that they can't uh, be very good at getting things done, but they they have to have that social connection first. And so we oftentimes say they're almost the ones that, um, unlike the drivers who are. Um, uh, you know, get it done now. Uh, they're more like, um, you know, wearing their their heart on their sleeve and, and uh, very, very attuned to emotions um, for themselves as well as others, making sure people are, are doing okay. Um, and so they can also be very reactive though. And so um, uh, they want both, both the driver and the um, relationship oriented person tend to want to get into uh, solving conflict quickly. And so they're going to embrace it. They're almost going to be viewed as fighting, you know, let, let's fight here. Let's get it done, you know. Can you just touch a little bit more on, you mentioned that the the one with the relationships can be reactive. Is that because it, it's the, the reactiveness of wanting to solve the conflict or is there something else there? Well, there is a little bit more there is that um, uh, the relationship person uh, can tend to take things a little bit more personally. Um, th uh, there's very there's very much a need to be included and to be liked. And so if they see something that's negative towards them, they may react to that as far as, you know, um, you're attacking me and they become defensive. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. Yep, okay, yeah. Um, related to the uh, relationship one is, um, uh, more of the idea, but um, uh, 
what I say, a very steady kind of personality. Um, they tend to work and be more introverted. They they want and need more time to process things. They're not usually very good in, in the moment. And um, they also dislike conflict, and they're the ones that, who tend, generally tend to walk away or um, want to ignore any conflict. They, they want everyone to get along, okay? Uh, but they they're just don't have the courage to step up and speak up and to try to make things right. And um, they're very creative. But again, if you press them too much in the moment, they'll they'll retreat. And um, and so uh, that one is very again relationship oriented, but also uh, slower paced in terms of wanting time, needing time to think things through and process where they're coming from. They're more likely to walk away from conflict and never get it resolved. But they're also the kind of people who tend to internalize the conflict and and then bear the the um, the brunt of what's happened on a solo or internal basis. Sort of like the, the example I just gave a few minutes ago with somebody who's been carrying this around for two years. So she's learning how to speak up and voice things um, in an assertive way rather than a passive aggressive way. Right, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then the other style um, tends to be more analytical in nature. Um, uh, they share with the driver being very task oriented they're not very attuned to emotions and um, don't really put a lot of emphasis on relationships, but they're very methodical, very structured, very orderly, very step by step by step. Uh, they share with the um, idea, creative kind of person though, um, that, that need to uh, have more time to sort of figure things out and process information. And so, um, so we have those four quadrants there, you know, the driver and relationship person are very extroverted, fast paced, quick to take action. Uh, but then they're different. One's more task oriented, the other one's more relationship oriented. And then the other two, again, are more introverted, slower paced, want time to think things through, don't, don't do real well pushing the moment, but then they're also different by being task oriented versus relationship oriented. And how does understanding this model help in conflict? Okay, great question. Yeah, um, uh, a couple of different ways is that one, by being aware of these four key styles, again, you know, the, the timing and pacing of someone's behavior, and that's part of our emotional intelligence then, going back to, uh, yeah. you know, other awareness is, what do I notice about this person? You know, is that I'll be a person that tends to want more time to think things through and and um, maybe, you know, timing is everything, right? And so maybe I need to pick a better time to approach this person and not force the issue in the moment, you know, or do I need to step up a little bit because this person needs, a you know, a resolution of the issue um, um, more timely. The other thing, uh, so timing is everything, okay? Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that comes through with that though too I mean, I've gotten pretty good after doing this for 20, 30 years now that I can sort of meet somebody and get a sense of where I think they're coming from just by, you know, their facial expressions and how they speak and, and you know, their behaviors and things like that. Going into a room, who's sitting up in the corner, who's, who's standing alone or versus who's in a group of people talking, you know, all of those are clues that if we know what we're looking for, then we know how to better interpret them and then choose you know, effective actions on our own part. Um, the one thing I do wanna say though too, is that the drivers and uh, 
relationship expressive kind of people tend to make statements that then come across as um, factually based when it's simply their perspective or position. Um, the um, analytical people, the idea people tend to ask questions. And so that's another thing to look for is, is you know, how they, how they frame themselves. And, um, uh, you know, so these are just behaviors that, again, if we know what to look for, we know how then to make choices that will be more effective than how we, going back to emotional intelligence, how we manage a relationship. And have you found that people will fall in one of these four or do people fall in like mostly one and a bit of bit of another and they, this is just a way to organize information that is important around communication? What's been yeah. your experience with that? Yeah, um, you know, actually we all have a little bit of everything. You know, I've been doing assessments of communication styles for, you know, again, over 20 years. And I've never found somebody that doesn't have a little bit of everything. Now, some people will be much stronger in certain uh, a certain style, which tends to be their driver, you know, their, their leading style of communication. But we have them all. And so the idea here, um, much like emotional intelligence, it's learnable. And, and particularly as leaders, we want to be more effective in knowing and understanding those the different communication styles so we know how to show up and lead others more effectively. And um, now some people, you know, a very, very small percentage, at least on my experience, there are more robust uh, research studies out there that can tell you more. But even in my own anecdotal experience of working with um, clients throughout the years, um, they're, they're particularly when we're younger, we um, I, I've very rarely seen somebody you know pretty balanced in all four. You we can learn it, and I see people who are you know um, with more years in their careers and things like that, based on their roles and responsibilities, who have developed more of a balanced kind of approach. But we do tend to be driven by a primary one or two, but it doesn't mean we can't bring out the others when we need to. And are there strategies for developing ones that we're weak in or, or not um, not particularly competent in beyond the cognitive recognition of oh you know I you, you know I'm not particularly good at making quick decisions for example mm -hmm. is it then just to make a conscious effort to be quicker in your decision making or are there nuances to developing each one of those? Well. Um... What I would say to that is that, yes, there are strategies. And one of the things that has emerged, um, you know, from a leadership perspective is that we used to think that there were, you know, uh, you know, predominant leadership styles that we showed up with and that they were pretty fixed. But instead, what we've really seen over the last 20 or 30 years with a lot of the neuroscience of how our brain works is that um, it, it really can be Again, we're driven by certain key styles, but we're learnable. That's the plasticity of our brain. And so um, and so once we're mindful of where our natural strategies are, our natural styles are, then we can you know actually ask ourselves questions. How's that working for me? Am I getting what I want in life? You know, or is that actually holding me back because I, I let that style dominate how I show up with others? and how I make choices in my life. And so, um, again, there's some neuroscience here that I, I draw upon that, you know, when we're triggered, you know, we, we do see the 
what we call the limbic part of our brain get activated. That's our emotional you know, warehouse, so to speak. That it, that's where we want to learn not to react from. That is the emotional part. Um, good decision making always has a combination of cognitive and emotional. You know, well, here are the facts of the situation, but what's important to me now? And so we want to learn how to bridge those two. Okay. And so for somebody who who doesn't isn't good at making quick decision making, it's like, well, one of the questions that you know I, I would ask myself or others is that, well, doesn't a decision need to be made right now? Is this a critical, urgent decision? If not, then let me let, I, I want some time to think about it. You know, or is this truly an emergency situation? I better step up to the plate and make that decision, particularly if I'm a leader. Okay, or if it's an emergency decision uh, situation. Okay, but if we use our primary primary style all the time, we're not going to be effective most of the time. And so, Daniel Goleman, going back to emotional intelligence, has really emerged or evolved in more of what we call situational leadership. Side up the situation. You know, not everything needs to be dealt with right now. Not every conflict needs to be dealt with right now. Sometimes we benefit from giving ourselves some time and space. And that's where um, I like to use a 24 to 72 hour window, quite frankly. Um, you know, step back. We don't need to deal with that right now. You take time to sort through. And this is where the fast acting people as well as the slower acting people. You know, let's find that middle ground of where we can come back in a safe space where we're not so emotionally charged and have a conversation, not a confrontation. Yeah. It makes me think of that thing that I'm not sure if they still teach this because I'm not sure it's a great idea to kids, but like what if kids are angry, they're like just breathe for 10 seconds. And I just have that. But uh, yeah, it makes more sense to, I think, have it over a longer period of time. Than yeah. <laughs> well, if I can comment on that really quickly, because um we're we're very much again goes back to the neuroscience we're very much activated by what we see most or for, you know first and foremost 55 percent of our communication is based on what we we see okay 38 mm percent -hmm. is how we sound our tone volume and inflection only seven percent of the words and so if we recognize that again just physiologically what we see and what we hear go back to the audio and occipital lobes at the back of our head by the automatic brainstem or autonomic brainstem and that's what sends signals into our body as well as into our brain first going to the limbic brain before we get to the prefrontal cortex which is our, our logical human brain and so deep breathing as you're you know if you notice you're triggered oh my heart's starting to beat fast or my stomach's just tightening up or oh my my breathing's getting shallow whoa pause and that's where you do want to take, you know, I actually say three to four deep breaths. I have what I call the four by six breathing technique to practice throughout the day. But you want to take, um, you know, at least three, if not four deep breaths, because that not only will um, calm down the physiological response in your body, but also in your brain and will allow enough time for the signals to get up to the prefrontal cortex, which is where we make sense of things. And, and we, we don't react. That's the big thing about the breathing is to not react in the moment. Yeah. Okay. Um, and the other thing you mentioned in uh, conjunction with the four communication styles was, I think it was the five conflict resolution styles. Could you speak to that? 
Sure, sure. Yeah, this, um, uh, again, the research has been out there for a long time, but the, the body of work that most um, solidified these five conflict styles comes out of the work of Thomas Kilman. And um, and so you could readily you know do a Google search and find all kinds of things related to that. Um, but uh, the the five uh, and I hope I always remember my deal with it all the time. But uh, one that we affectionately call the shark, the more competitive style. You know, get in there and fight. You know, and yeah. um, and that's most related to the driver communication style too. Okay, mm -hmm. and uh, another one is more of the compromising fox. You know, sort of sly, a little cunning, you know, but but compromising. I give up something, you give up something, and then we'll reach agreement. But we both don't get what we want, but we also get some of what we want. Okay. Um, another one is the avoiding turtle. Um, you know, you, you just pull up back into your shell, and that's that the retreat one. And that's most related to the the creative idea person. They just want to run away from conflict. And um, uh, and then there's also the um, uh, Let's see, I said competing, I said uh, compromising um, the turtle. Uh, then we have the collaborative one, which is where we truly sit down and we, we try to work to solutions that we, where we both mutually gain. We're not necessarily giving up, but we're thinking of new ideas outside of the box. Okay. And then I, guess I always forget the last one, just one second. I'll come to me. I always forget. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'll, look, I'll look it up while we, we're here. I do it all the time. So that's another thing about our brain. We do best when we only try to remember three or four things at a time. Five five we can do, but it always stretches our mind. And I do this all the time, and yet I can't remember the fifth one. So, <laughs> so anyway, um, so they do correlate to the communication styles, um, uh, but they, they are a little bit different. And... Um, um, and so j just while that's sort of percolating and, and coming back to your prefrontal cortex, uh, another thing you mentioned was psychological safety. So mm -hmm. how do we bring about psychological safety when, you know, it, if the other person is really triggering us, we're like, they're the reason I feel unsafe when they're here. I don't feel safe. Like they need to leave. <laughs> how do you deal with that kind of thing? Yeah. You know, that, that to me is, I think, one of the biggest problems we have in our world and our work today. Okay, and the the reason for that is that um, you know we've come a long way in building cycle. I mean, physical safety. You know, with with um, personal protection equipment and and um, uh, you know all kinds of safety guards and workplace practices and things like that. Um, but we haven't done much to curb how poorly people treat and treat one another. Okay. You know, for example, the bullying behavior or the micromanaging boss or, you know, the, the, the boss or leader who, who um, yells at you. You know, when, when all of those kinds of behaviors will activate the limbic brain. And the limbic brain is where our, our fear factors come out of, again, the drive to survive. And so when we're fearful, we don't feel safe. And um, I, I like to say that um, it's important that we, you know, try to achieve uh, you know, a, a certainty, predictability, and the expected. Because when we are faced with unpredictability, uncertainty, and the unexpected, then that creates instability. And when we feel unstable, what's going on? I don't know what's going to happen next. You know, then we become anxious. And when we become anxious, we don't we don't trust. 
Yeah. And when we don't trust, we don't feel safe. And so this is where, you know, I've spent my career, um, you know, then looking at how to help people learn how to communicate in effective and influential ways that they actually have a positive impact on people rather than creating a negative impact. Um, because who likes to be uncertain, unpredictable, and um, always facing the unexpected? Who likes to feel unstable? Yeah. And yet how often times, how, uh, how often do we, we um, deal with that? A lot. Mm. Okay, I got to go back. Accommodating teddy bear. Accommodating. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, and that's also mostly uh, most associated with the um, um, more creative um, idea person. They they're they're more willing to give up what they need in order to help somebody else meet their needs. But what what happens then is that you, you don't get your needs met, and then that leads to frustration and and internal despair. Mm. We've spoken a bit about, quite a bit about, uh, sort of these different strategies, communication styles, and you know, when things get really intense. Could we talk about what people can do when, you know, before things get super really intense to the point where you're not even thinking straight? How can we avoid, you know, the, the big fire even ever mm -hmm. happening? Well, this comes from a couple of different places. Um, I think that one of the things would be um, from a, a supervisor, manager, leader perspective. This is this is where it's really important that you yourself have developed your emotional intelligence and your compassion for people. Um, being alert to, you know, not waiting for them to say something, but being sensitive to what they see going on. You know, you can see if people are in distress. A lot of it's in the eyes. You know, we can see a lot about, you know, how clear are the eyes. And and if they're not, or, or, or you can see facial muscles tense, something's going on. Their, their limbic brain is working overtime. And so as a manager, supervisor, leader, it's really important, a critical leadership skill that um, we, we develop that capacity to observe and connect um, and, and pay attention to what people have to say, giving them our, you know, true full attention, active listening, um, strategic listening, and learning how to ask important questions. So that's from a, a leadership standpoint. And um, and that's, again, what I, I focus a lot on in my team building and my management training um, to teach people how to do that. And it's surprising that it doesn't take a lot of time if you know how to do it. You know, uh, it doesn't, doesn't consume your day. Um, there are studies that show that, you know, uh, um, uh, the average, you know, person in supervision, management, or leadership, 30% um, of their day is dealt with dealing with employee conflict. And yet it's not usually written in their job description, nor are they provided the skills to do it, you know. Yeah. And if you go into the, like, the Fortune 500 companies, it actually increases to 50%. Yeah, I, I had um, s someone who... I think they knew a CEO or knew someone who knew a CEO, and the the, the CEO was saying that like ninety percent of their day is dealt with people, and the reason they're the CEO is because it's for that ten percent where they do need the technical knowledge. They can just say, "Yeah, mm -hmm. do this instead of that," but the majority is people. Yeah. With, yeah. I was like, it makes so much sense when you think about it, but I think 
whenever we think about corporate or government and, and leaders and people at the top, we always tend to think of they must be really good at the technical side of things, at, at mm-hmm. the expertise. Um, but it seems to be the complete opposite. It's it, it's the need for, like, that might be why they're there, but what they need most is the human element. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And so this that actually is a good point, taking us back to the difference between emotional intelligence and intellectual intelligence. If you think about an iceberg, we really only see the tip of the iceberg above the waterline, right? unless you're really up close and, you know, and can see through the water. Um, and even then you can't see the bottom. And so the iceberg is used a lot to characterize uh, the tip of the iceberg is represents our intellectual intelligence, what we know, what we're smart at. Okay. But the, the part of the iceberg below the waterline is what we consider the emotional intelligence piece of us. You know, the, the things where we don't oftentimes have conversations about like beliefs and expectations, attitudes, assumptions, concerns, challenges, hopes, uh, fears, values, and needs. How often do you have conversations like that? Mm-hmm. Not usually, yeah. yeah. And so, so so just to finish on that for a second is that, um, and so I, I think I mentioned earlier that organizations more and more are hiring people uh, around their emotional intelligence, not just their intellectual intelligence, because it's one thing to know how to manage things and processes. It's a whole other thing to learn how to manage people and their emotions and their needs and all those other kinds of things. And yet people go to work to you know feel included, to feel appreciated, to be valued, you know, to be recognized, you know, uh, and to feel part of the team. But if you don't manage, if you don't lead people in a way that produces that, then you have people who just show up for work to collect the paycheck and do marginal performance. Yeah. Um, So just the idea that came to me before was, A, do you believe that leaders should be consistently having those kinds of conversations with employees about their beliefs and all of those underlying things? And then B, if there's a leader listening to this going, I've never had that kind of conversation before. How do I even begin? Can, <laughs> can you give any advice to just taking that first step and be like, aren't they going to think I'm a complete weirdo if I ask them, like, you know, so some strange belief that they might have? Oh, that's, that's good. Yeah. No, and again, good questions. Um, so a couple of things, you know, with my 30 years of workplace mediation experience, I will share with you and all of our listeners that, you know, one of the, uh, one of the two things that people want most is access to their leader and their and for their leader to be a good role model. Let's let not just think in for a few. <laughs> yeah. And so um and so yeah, as a as a leader, you, you you know, it's important that you be mindful about how you show up and the the role modeling that you're providing to your employees. Because if you treat them poorly, guess what? They'll start treating others poorly. You know, it's just like kids who follow what their parents do. And so, um, you know, when I when I have parents who report problems with kids, it's like, well, what goes on in the workplace or in the home environment between you and your other adult members? You know, that's where they're learning it from, you know. So, uh, <clears throat> so um, yes, and I, I will share with you a, a reference that I have used a lot for quite a number of years uh, from Patrick Lencioni. 
L-E-N-C-I-O-N-I. And he's a pretty famous leadership guru and, and speaker. And uh, he's, a, he's written a few books, but the two I come to my mind off the top of my head, one that I really love, and I use it as a model for how um, leaders at any level um, uh, can and probably should connect with their employees. Uh, and his book is called Death by Meetings. And so, it, yeah, just like you, it gets a, a smile and laugh to the face, you know, because um, too many, too many people, as Lin Cioni would say, most people think we have too many meetings already. But he, his point is that we don't have enough of the right kinds of meetings. And so he talks about um, teams who work together should connect together on a daily basis. And it, you know, it doesn't have to be necessarily in person. It could be virtually. It could be by phone. But to connect, and I, I like to encourage people to think about doing that at the beginning of the day. You know, sort of like what's hot, what's not, what's happened since yesterday, who has a deadline, who could use support, where do we need to reallocate resources, and just how's everybody doing? And and usually it shouldn't be any more than you know, 10, 15 minutes max. No big discussion, just a quick connect. And you'd be surprised about how that can start the, the tone of the day off so wonderfully, okay? And um, I do I do uh, something similar to that even in my trainings, virtually or in person, to get people to connect as quickly as possible in, in the classroom. Um, then he says that the same team should meet on a weekly basis for not more than 20 or 30 minutes, no agenda, but just sort of recap what, what have we accomplished this week and what's coming up for next week. So it keeps people connected, but it also keeps people in the know. And then maybe on a monthly basis, you have a little longer meeting, an hour, not more than an hour and a half. None of these, you know, hour-long meeting kind of things. But that should have an agenda. And that's usually where you might um, talk more about changes in workplace practices, policies, new procedures, you know, more of the organizational or department-related stuff. And then, you know, uh, on a quarterly basis, maybe do some more strategic planning. That might be a smaller group again, but where are we in our annual goals and what do we need to step on? Where do we need to do training, for example? Uh, who needs better support? You know, what, what are things that we can do differently? And so I, I love his model and I have brought that into many, many organizations and it's worked really wonderfully, particularly the daily contact. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about that daily contact is... Mm -hmm. What about, because I, I know many people who are introverts and don't really want to share things with other people and certainly mm -hmm. in the workplace if this hasn't been done before, mm -hmm. how do you deal with that potential awkwardness or the like, mm, I, I don't really know how to do this? What, yeah, yeah what, what would be the, the first step or, or the frame of mind to come in or, or the coaching or the guidance to help mm -hmm. facilitate that? Yeah. Well, one of the things I always encourage people whenever I do training, uh, and particularly if they are in a, a leadership or you know, supervisory capacity, is that, you know, one, don't be secretive about the training you're doing. <laughs> is that, you know, I'm, 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 I'm seeking to learn and develop and improve my, my skills, uh, whether it's in communication or managing conflict or, you know, supervising, leading others, you know, and so, um, uh, I'm taking this course. And when I get back, I want to take, you know, 15, 20, maybe 30 minutes to review with you some highlights of what I learned so I can pass it on. I can pay it forward. Okay. Yeah. And um, I, I want to let you know this because, uh, you know, 
I, I'm going to start implementing some of the things that I, I've, I've learned. And I want you to be aware of that because I need your feedback then to let me know how well that's working. Love it. Yeah, call out the elephant in the okay. room. Just... Yeah, and particularly if you're an employee that your supervisor or leader has sent you to training, I get this all the time. Why isn't my manager here? You know, he should be or she should be the one taking the training. And I said, well, you know, probably, but you're here. And so here's how you take your information back to your, your supervisor and leader. First of all, when you get back, say thank you. Thank you for sending me to this training. I really got a lot out of it. I'd like to set up a short meeting just to share with you three to five key highlights of what I learned because I want you to know what you invested in. And I want you to know what I'm going to bring back to the table in terms of how I plan to you know, improve, develop my workplace performance and my impact on others. So now you're in, in, and then particularly what's really good about that is that if your leader has some kind of behaviors that, that um, you've, you've learned something about, and you don't have to say, well, this is what you do, but instead say, well, let me share with you a really great tactic that came up about this kind of leader. And so you can talk about it more anonymously and yet, oh, well, maybe I should, maybe let me take a look at your course materials, you know, <laughs> maybe I should take that class, you know. So it's a great way of uh, what I like to say, managing up as well as managing down, but also managing around. So now you're, you're increasing your employer's um, investment in you, attending training or taking coaching, for example on how to do these things differently. And so um, setting the tone is really important. And so if you've never done it before, then just say, you know what? Um, well, one, I would also talk to my employees and say, what would you like to see done differently? You know, what can I do to improve? What can you do to improve? And what kinds of changes in practice might be helpful? What, what do you what do you know from some other place you've worked, for example, or somebody else you've worked for? Let's put out a pool of ideas there. I'm going to be taking this training, and then maybe I can come back and you know help recommend some things that we can actually implement. And so, again, now you're creating a learning collaborative environment um, rather than an isolation competitive environment. Do you have a – how do you say this? Is there a different mindset or a different set of strategies if the person that you're in conflict with is in, you're an individual contributor and they're a leader or upper management is there some other thing to have in mind if you're trying to address that in some way so you, what you're asking then is that if i have somebody that i'm not getting along with and how do i how do I you know, redirect that in some way? Yeah, so if I don't get along with someone who is my leader, my boss, you know, someone who hierarchically is higher, are there different ways of dealing with that given as what I'm hearing is a lot of the work you do is the teaching leaders how to do this and it starts from them. But, but I'm wondering how does it, what, what are the strategies for doing it the other way around? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's um, uh, that is very important because we don't get to pick who our, our, our leaders are, do we? Yeah, yeah, and, and and again, we have to make a choice of is this somebody I want to continue working with? Um, you know, um, you know, versus how much I love my job, uh, but if only it wasn't for him or her. Um, and so, yeah, there are things that that. Uh, uh, 
a lower level person can do to what I call managing up. And so, um, you know, one of the things would be is that, you know, I recognize we have differences and yet um, what can I do? So take ownership, personal ownership first and say, what can I do to better support you? You know, um, are, are there recommendations, thoughts, you know, ideas that you can share with me about what you'd like to see from me differently? You know, I realize I've come into this doing what I think is best, but I recognize that that may not serve you well. And so now, now you're already forging an alliance with that person. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, again, it's not that we necessarily have to like the person, but we, you know, if we want our job, we need to work with the person. Okay. And by taking that kind of approach, you actually can turn around a, a you know, a not so good relationship into something pretty powerful. And then that person actually values and appreciates you for, you know, uh, willing to, to look at things differently without blaming and shaming. Because too often we fall into that blaming and shaming thing, um, either, you know, managing up or managing down. And so we want to get away from that because that just triggers the limbic brain and the fear factors again. Yeah. And are there, firstly, I love that. Uh, and then are there also strategies for or, or mindsets when the conflict is more than you and one other person, but it's, you know, a group thing or, or it's you and two other people or, or when, when it's not just the one-on-one? -on -one? Yeah. Well, one of the things that I find is very important, um, in fact, I, I think I mentioned earlier, I'm working with the fire department, so I'm interviewing a, a lot of different um, firefighters at all different levels of, of positions and experience. And um, one of the things that uh, I find is very important to ask people is that there are usually three sources of conflict. Um, uh, and so understanding the sources of conflict from the people's perspective. Sometimes it's organizational. Sometimes the organization is just not, or the department's not structured effectively. And so that creates rifts in people's in relationships. Sometimes the leadership is the problem. And, um, and then the, the second source is really more around systems, processes, or technology. Um, one example, um, working with a group of people a couple years ago, was that there were a lot of tensions between the coworkers. Uh, but when we got down to it, it was really around their case management system was old and um, unable to help them manage the caseload, the workload that they had. And therefore, it created a lot of frustrations and tensions. And so one of the things that came out of that intervention was a task force to research and identify and then implement, um, you know, a, a, a new case management system. But they realized it really wasn't the employees not getting along. It was the, the process that wasn't working for them. And then the third source is simply the people, people not getting along, you know, and not understanding, um, being openly, um, uh, you know, disagreeing or, or demonstrating discord with one another. And, um, uh, and sometimes that can tie into, you know, a lack of clarity around role, roles and responsibilities. So when I have, I'm working with the team, that's, those are questions I ask right there. Then I also ask about the level of intensity. And I think I mentioned before, is it differences? Is it disagreements? Is there misunderstandings? Misunderstandings actually serve as a lot of uh, sources of conflict, that people have you know, understood things differently, and then they, they believe that their version is fact, and then they're upset with other people because they're following a different set of misunderstandings. And then I mentioned open discord, and then actual polarization, where you've got divided camps. And so, 
again, how serious is this? And that will help dictate or direct the kinds of interventions that might be necessary. Uh, it could be maybe, um, you know, maybe a change in leadership. And I've certainly been part of interventions that we've done that before. Um, you know, I have been involved in helping map out how could um, organizations restructure differently uh, because the way they're operating now is not effective for what they're dealing with now. Um, you know, certainly, as I mentioned my example already, you know, it boiled down to a case management system. And, um, and then, you know, certainly people conflicts. And so it could range anywhere from, you know, those three levels of intervention. And it really gets down to, you know, task sources of conflict versus relationship sources of content, um, conflict. Yeah. yeah. So those are things that I'd, I'd want to do in terms of helping a, a team of people look at, well, what can we do? And, um, uh, and again, I think I mentioned earlier that, you know, I've been working with this group of six, and so I did some what I call pre-mediation work first to sort of understand how they saw things and and uh, uh, what they saw the sources of conflict were, how bad had it gotten, and um, uh, what 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 was important to them. And I think that ties back to another question you asked: um, is what's important to you in the workplace? Um, what are you getting from you know what's happening and what's missing? You know, and and those are also sources of information for how to think through what's going on. Again, conflict doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can really be a source of significant improvement in well-being. It's all how it's managed. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the most phenomenal ideas. Is <laughs> it just yeah, going towards conflict. Um, one last uh, question before we wrap up is: You have written about the importance of compassion and even more specifically with regards to uh, empath empathy and compassion. Mm -hmm. Could you speak to that a bit? Yes. Thank you for that opportunity. Um, uh, again, my interest in the area of um, uh, compassion and empathy really grew out of my doctoral work about 12 years ago and really understand the neuroscience of how our brains work. And um, uh, we, as a mediator, we know that the um, display of empathy is really important. I may not understand what you're going through, Hugo, but I can definitely show my concern and my uh, my acknowledgement that you're going through something difficult. Okay, mm -hmm. and and particularly for leaders and supervisors and managers, too often that empathy piece is missing. You know, they 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 you know, say, well. You're just too sensitive. You know, get over it. You know, get onto the job. You know, and but instead of saying, "You well, gosh, yeah, I can see you're really impacted by this. How can I help support you right now?" And and so um, again, you may not understand it, but you can acknowledge that somebody's going through something difficult, and that's where empathy really comes in. Sympathy is different. Sympathy is more like, "Oh gosh, you've lost a brother. I've lost a brother. I I from my perspective, I know how painful that can be." I can identify with you. That's where you have sort of a shared experience, okay? Mm -hmm. Empathy is, you may not have a shared experience, but it's at least acknowledging. And I put a lot of emphasis on the word acknowledging. It's not appreciating. It's not understanding. I, I can see where you're coming from. Or, you know, I can see the pain that you're in. You know, and that's interfering with things. But what we've learned through neuroscience is that Empathy actually still shows up in the side of the brain closer to the area of pain. 
so it's a it's a, a, a it's a move uh from from the pain area where we, we experience that pain but it's actually doesn't not quite enough and so when we combine empathy with an act of warm-heartedness it actually shifts it over to the part of the brain where love shows up and warm feelings and so empathy is a component of compassion but um, compassion is more than empathy and so um like again is that wow i can see where you know you're going through a tough time now what can i do to support you would a day or two off from work be the answer um uh you know would you like somebody to help get that task done so we can get it done that's where you're showing an act now to support your empathy what can i do to support you that's a powerful statement right there yeah i think that is a beautiful place to wrap up for today <laughs> um if people would like to uh, find out more about you um contact you in some way uh how can they do that and maybe also mention some of the uh specific services you offer in terms of who it might be for oh thank you for that opportunity well one i, I do encourage um uh people to visit my website which is um relationships hyphen at hyphen work.com and so that's the word at at not the um the the ampersand um and so uh so that's a great place to visit because you will see then that I primarily offer um, dispute resolution services, but that actually encompasses um, mediation, which is actually you know between two or more parties um, in conflict, and I facilitate the dialogue. Uh, it could also include conflict coaching, uh, where I might work one-on-one -on -one with somebody to help them navigate through difficult situations, and um, uh, and with that too, um, leadership coaching. Uh, and I do offer people what I call hotspot coaching. So if they were to, to, to text me or, or reach out and we could you know, schedule a quick situation um, so that we can go through uh, something that's coming up or maybe debriefing on something that they've handled. Um, and then I also provide training. And so um, I have a, a program on, called On the Road to Conflict Competency, uh, which is primarily designed for teams and team building and team conflict but it does also have um, modules for managers to help managers better navigate um, through conflict with their employees. And, uh, and then I do have a 90-day leadership boot camp um, where we put um, aspiring or, or new or even you know, uh, experienced leaders uh, through and taking them uh, in, in developing through their emotional intelligence and, and some of the conflict management strategies and really uh, you know, improving their ability to inspire influence and impact um employees around them to create psychological safety yeah wonderful yeah. but you also follow me on linkedin dr deborah mm -hmm. dupree and uh, uh a lot goes out there too yeah and your podcast is on youtube is that it that's correct yeah. yes it's decoding the conflict mindset and so I have a variety of speakers, um, you know, either lawyers or mediators um, who, you know, have experience in you know, working with people in conflict. Uh, but I also uh, work, you know, with um, uh, uh, leaders and organizations to um, address some of the uh, new and upcoming ideas for leading in today's uh, world. The post-COVID is very different than before and our hybrid worlds and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, uh, yeah, so we do that twice a month. I usually the first and third 
Thursday. Uh, we premiere on YouTube and uh, usually about 30, 45 minutes and um, very interactive and uh, great, great speakers. Wonderful. Thank you so much for today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Hugo. Thank you for the opportunity. You've been listening to the High Performance Groundwork podcast. If there's a conversation you believe needs to be had or an idea you believe needs to be spoken about when it comes to workplace wellness and making the work environment joyful, calm, and a place where we feel part of a supportive community, I would love to hear from you. If you run a company and would like to improve the well-being of your staff, you can head over to my website, highperformancegroundwork.com to find out how I may be able to help. And finally, if you enjoyed this, share it around.